Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. For the final time. No, it's really happening, I promise. <laughs> I, I did forget to say I got a really awesome drawing this morning by Jackson Isaacson, and uh, he told me that this is for the church's birthday. So that was a, that was a big deal. I'm going to treasure this. Jackson, we might have to get Jackson to sign his name and date it on the back. Um, love it. This morning, we are finishing our study of the book of Acts. Doubters, haters. I can't blame you. I mean, it has been three years. Um, anywho, I've titled this study today, The Conclusion of Acts. Seemed fitting. Uh, our final portion of text is going to be Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, along with some other things this morning. But just for some brief context, in our study last week, we did see Paul finally arrive in Rome. It's a culmination of sort of a, a heart's desire for the Apostle Paul. He had wanted so badly to be in Rome. He no doubt had heard what God was doing there. He heard about the faith of the saints in Rome, the work that God had done that most likely started because of believers who had come maybe for the day of Pentecost so many years earlier in Acts 2 and got saved because of what the Lord did through Peter's preaching on that day and these new believers maybe having some brief discipleship and then, well, we don't actually live here. We just kind of visit a few times a year for the feast and, and going back and maybe each time coming back to Jerusalem for a feast, having more discipleship happening, more equipping to be able to take back to their, to sort of their homeland of, of Rome, even though they were Jews um, by ethnicity. And this work that God was doing, Paul just longed to be there. He longed to, to, to be encouraged by them and to be an encouragement to them. But it was also the fulfillment of promises that Jesus had made to Paul. That, that Paul would testify about Jesus in Rome and, and things that uh, we, we will not see in this study or even in the book of Acts, but even the promise that Jesus made to Paul that he would stand before Caesar. And we saw last week how he was able, once getting to Rome, to, to, to live in his own rented house in a house arrest sort of situation where he was chained continually to a, a sort of a rotating shift of, of soldiers. So he'd have a soldier chained to him for probably, you know, four to six hours at a time throughout the day, and this lasting for that two-year period, and, and Paul being able to rent that house because of the support of others. We know even uh, from some of the other epistles that, that Paul wrote while during the house arrest that I think it was the, the Church of Philippi, how they had sent someone with a gift to Paul, and no doubt that being used for Paul to have this hub of ministry now. He's not stuck in some jail cell. He's in a house, and, and people are coming to him, and he's able to minister freely. But once in Rome, Paul asked for the Jewish leaders to come to him. He couldn't go to them, so he asked them to come to him. He, he wanted to see and talk to them, explain why he was there now as a prisoner, ultimately with a desire to share the gospel of Jesus with them so that his 
fellow countrymen could be saved. And, and that initial meeting led to him having this appointed day where the Jewish leaders, plus maybe some others, came to this rented house where Paul spent an entire day from morning till evening testifying and explaining and persuading them concerning Jesus using the law and the prophets, you know, placing the life of Jesus and the works of Jesus and the claims of Jesus and the, and the, the miracles of Jesus and, and overlaying that over what we find in Moses and the prophets that all clearly pointed to Jesus being the fulfillment. He was the prophet that Moses spoke of. He is the Messiah that was foretold of, born of a virgin, coming into Jerusalem on, the, on a colt, the full of a donkey. So many other prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. I think somewhere upwards of 300 plus prophecies just in his, his first coming alone. And, and out of that opportunity, that, that meeting, some believed. Amazing thing. Some of the Jews believed, but others disbelieved. They rejected what they had heard about Jesus being their Messiah. And this led to an argument between this group now here who believed and those who disbelieved. You can imagine that conversation. What do you mean you don't believe? Like, clearly this Jesus is the Messiah. And the disbelieving go, no, it can't be him. There's no way. We're still waiting. Messiah hasn't come. And so this argument taking place, but after Paul quotes the, the prophet Isaiah to the disbelieving Jews speaking about their hardness of heart, their closed ears, their closed eyes, their unwillingness to turn, to repent, and be healed. Paul made it very clear that the salvation of God was being sent to the Gentiles and that they would hear it. And you and I are part of that group even still today if we're non-Jews. This leads us, though, to our final two verses of the book of Acts. Let's read those, verses 30 and 31. Luke says, Then Paul dwelt two years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. You know, for the couple of years leading up to this point, the, the, at least to the start of Paul's two years in Rome, what we saw in the pre preceding verses last week has really become sort of the normal experience for the Apostle Paul. He gets a really cool opportunity to, to witness, to testify about Jesus to others. Maybe it's a small group or a large crowd, but it's not received well. There's some sort of strife or arguing or uproar that happens, often putting Paul in danger, and there's little to no response from those who he preached the gospel to. Maybe not really any outward fruit that's visible from Paul's preaching opportunities, and yet Paul kept doing the same things because his life was dedicated to making disciples of Jesus, which requires preaching the gospel message to Jews and Gentiles. You know, whether it was received or not, whether he was liked or not, whether he was persecuted or not, Paul didn't waver from the great commission of Jesus. 
to go and to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that Jesus had commanded. And we see this in what Luke shares in the final two verses of this book. Paul remained in his own rented house for two years. So he's kept in that position of being on house arrest. Again, he's shackled to a soldier constantly. And in those two years, he received all who came to him. So he never turned anyone away. He received all. If you've come, I'm welcoming you in. Whoever you are, let's bring you in. It doesn't matter if you're skeptical, if you're a seeker, if you're a believer, like I'm going to share Jesus with you. That was Paul's whole motivation and and mindset. He received all, and, and with all who came to him, he preached the kingdom of God and taught the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, or that word could also be translated boldness, and no one hindered him. So Paul's in the heart of the Roman Empire, and what he preached was the kingdom of God. He put the emphasis on God's spiritual kingdom and the king of that kingdom who's Jesus And while he did that, he taught the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being there for some of those Bible studies? Paul just laying out the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, all the things that Jesus fulfilled, all these things that we know that that come from Jesus himself, his grace, his love, that he's the embodiment of Grace and truth. And, and having Paul just, just share all these things. He's just spending all of his time and he's just constantly talking about Jesus. I wish we could have been there for that. But Paul didn't change or, or water down his message because he was in a different location or because his life could be in more danger, or because Roman guards were keeping a close eye on him and listening to everything he said. No, he just kept on boldly and faithfully proclaiming Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel. And what he, did, what he found as he did that was that no one was trying to hinder that. You know, you, you got to wonder how Paul might have thought that things would go. If any of these guards would start to, to beat him as he talked about Jesus, I mean, things like this had happened to Paul in the past. And yet what, what he found was not only was, the, was he not being hindered, but even as Paul talks about in the book of Philippians that clearly the, the palace guard and people from Caesar's household were getting saved as Paul was preaching, not only were they not forbidding him, I think in a lot of ways they were welcoming it. Can you imagine some of these guards that initially they're like, okay, here we go. Here's, I'm on shackle duty again. And then they're like, I can't wait to be back with Paul. I can't wait till it's my shift. I can't wait to hear more about this Jesus that Paul has been teaching about, about this kingdom that's so clearly different than than this kingdom, the the kingdom of Rome that I've 
known my whole life that there's a different king than Caesar. That there's, there's this king that's, that rules in a completely different way than, than the Caesars of the past. Not this rough dictator, but a loving, humble, servant, savior king who gave his life for the people of his kingdom. I mean, that's amazing. It doesn't say that Paul spent his two years preaching against Rome. It just says he spent his two years preaching Jesus. I don't have time to speak against Caesar. I just want to tell you how great Jesus is. And as people see how great Jesus is, they're going to see how faulty and and failing the the kingdoms and the kings of this world are. And they're going to get so disillusioned that they're going to turn to the only true king and go, I want him. I want to commit my life to him. God used Paul's time of imprisonment in Rome. He utilized his freedom to get the message of Jesus out as much as he could. Both with all who came to that house he was basing his ministry out of and also with the letter writing. These letters that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to the churches of Philippi and Ephesus and Colossae and to a man named Philemon during this two years of house arrest. The Lord has been using those four letters. We don't know all that Paul was preaching in that time. We we know what characterized it, preached the kingdom, taught the things concerning the Lord Jesus. But we don't get all the details. We don't get all the information. We don't get all that foundational sort of knowledge of what Paul was laying about the person of Christ and his work in the world and the, and the need of humanity and, 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 and sort of the, 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 the blessings of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Like We don't get any of that from that aspect, but we do from the writings, I mean, if you've read the book of Philippi or or Ephesians or Colossians, like, man, it is just chock full of Jesus. Who Jesus is, who we are in Jesus, what he's done for us, what the gospel really is, the need of humanity, our sinfulness, the spiritual battle that we're in, the deceptions of the false philosophies of this world. Like, we get all of that because Paul was a prisoner. These things that God's been using now for almost 2,000 years, these letters that he continues to use in both his gospel being clearly explained and in his, his word bringing the needed instruction and conviction and equipping and strengthening and encouragement and hope Words that we would not have had or maybe might not have had if Paul hadn't been kept as a prisoner in Rome at this time. These are those things that we've talked about where it's like we look at the situations in our life that just seem like, what was the point in the, in the, well, when we're right in the middle of it? You ever wondered that? You're in the middle of it, you're like, what, what, why? What's happening? What good could come out of this? And yet clearly God is 
using even the things that are uncomfortable and undesirable, the things that put us in the press. That we may not even see in our lifetime. Maybe it's stuff that God's going to use way down the line. I don't know that Paul was thinking, you know what? For 2,000 years, people are going to be reading this letter. I think he just thought, I really hope this is a blessing to this church, these people. I hope this letter to Philemon, I hope it does something in his heart where God, you reconcile this relationship between him and Onesimus, this runaway slave. God, I, I, I pray that you use these things, but I, I don't know that Paul was looking forward with this eyes of faith to see thousands of years beyond to go, wow, God, millions upon millions of people that would be touched and transformed and reached because of these things that came out of a time where Paul was in chains waiting to find out if he was going to die. And yet God had a purpose. And for us, God has a purpose. He's doing things, even in the undesirable moments of our lives, even in the, the restrictive aspect of times, the things that we Experience. Paul saw God's purposes in this season of his life. He embraced even the challenging and restrictive aspects of it, and he made the most of the ministry opportunities God had given him to make Jesus known, whether that was to those who came to him in person or those that would receive these letters that he was writing. But this is how Luke ends his account. He doesn't tell us what happened after the two years. If he stood before Caesar Nero or, or what happened when he did, none of that. We just see Paul preached the kingdom of God. He taught the things concerning the Lord Jesus with all confidence. And no one tried to stop him in those two years as he was in Rome under house arrest. Now, traditionally, and in light of what Paul writes in First and Second Timothy and Titus, it seems that Paul uh, was acquitted after these two years and went on to travel and minister for a few more years until eventually being arrested again. We don't know why, most likely, no doubt, because of preaching the gospel. And this led to him being imprisoned in Rome a second time. And actually, the, the letter of Second Timothy is based out of this situation. And according to church tradition, Paul was beheaded outside of the city of Rome in, in A.D. 67 or, or 68. But, but we have to remember that the account of Acts is not centered on the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul or any of the other apostles or disciples of Jesus that we've seen throughout the book of Acts, but instead is centered upon the person and ongoing ministry of the risen and ascended Jesus. And with that, so we keep sort of the heartbeat, the, the focus, the intention of the book of Acts in mind and, and applied to our lives as we move on from our study of this amazing book after today. I want us to consider and address a few questions in the remainder of our study this morning to help us hopefully conclude this book well. 
So I'm going to ask a question, but I'm going to answer it. So I'm not like asking you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and then one of you hopefully will have the right answer. I'll supply the answer that I'm asking the question to. Here we go. The, the first question I want to address in conclusion of the book of Acts is, why did Luke end his account like this? Anybody else wonder that? Why? Like, Luke, why did you, like, you obviously knew he spent two years, so you know what happened after the two years. There was some ending point in mind that, Luke, you knew about, but you didn't include us in. So, obviously, there's some sort of intentionality behind this. Well, Luke began this account referencing his first writing, the the gospel of Luke, being about all that Jesus began, all that Jesus began. So him finishing the book and leaving it with this open ending reminds us that Jesus is still continuing to work long after Paul's imprisonment, long after even the canon of Scripture was completed, and by ending it this way reminds us that what we are a part of today as the church of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, is inseparably linked to the same work that Jesus was doing in the early church in the book of Acts. Leaving this account open-ended is really the only fitting way to end this book because otherwise we might go, well, that's it. That's all that Jesus was going to do. That, that's, that's kind of, Jesus did the thing he was going to do. He moved by his spirit in the way that he wanted to. And we're all kind of just an add-on now after that. We're just kind of, you know, secondary sort of recipients that, you know, yeah, we're blessed. We're still getting, there's still, the gospel's still going out, but None of the things that really happen, I'm not really connected to that. The Spirit of God's not really still wanting to work in the same way. The commission of Jesus is, is maybe not applied to my life in the same way. No, Luke leaving this open is going, is him saying he began it, but he's still continuing it. It's for you. Whoever would open this letter and read it, that we would go, Jesus, you're still active today. You're still working today. You're still speaking today. Your your spirit is still moving today. You're you're still calling people today. You care about your church still just as much today. You care about the lost in this world still just as much today. Jesus, you're here. You know, sometimes people will kind of come away with this like there's even a a a network of churches that is that's called acts 29 it's like well there's no acts 29 in the bible not that there were chapter divisions when it was written that's like for our benefit later on right so we know where to find stuff you imagine you just have a scroll and there's no verses or chapters like i somewhere about like 10 inches into the scroll i think uh, where was that? You imagine you're with somebody. Well, let me, hold on a second. You just whip the scroll out, like rolls like three feet down the floor and you're like, hold on, I want to share something with you real quick. <laughs> but regardless, 
there's no Acts 29, but, but the, the heart of that, the, the, the mindset of that movement or that, that network is that the work of Jesus through his church, through his spirit is still ongoing. It's still happening today that you and I are part of that sort of 29th chapter, if you will. That verse, maybe instead of Acts 29, maybe we say verse 32, right? There's no verse 32, but that, that, Lord, that Lord, you're still doing something. So, so it's appropriate. It may seem kind of like a weird way for us to read, like we just kind of abruptly come to this ending, but it, it's so appropriate for Luke to close out his writing the way that he did. We've addressed sort of the ending. Let's, let's revisit the beginning. If you'll flip back to Acts chapter 1 with me. And if you have a Bible app, you'll probably, you probably got there by the time I even said flip back with me to... You were there already. Acts chapter 1. We're going to read the first eight verses of the chapter. Luke beginning this account... He says that the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, verse 4, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The, the second question I want to address in conclusion of the book of Acts is, what did Luke want Theophilus, and by way of Theophilus, really all of us, to know, and, and how did he convey that purpose throughout this account? Well, we've seen clearly from the very beginning and all the way to the very end that the key theme and emphasis of this account has been Jesus. It's been Jesus, the, the crucified resurrected and ascended Savior and His continued work by His Spirit in the, in the lives of His people as they, as they took the gospel into the world. You know, when we take into consideration that Luke had already written an account of Jesus' life and ministry, His work and words, His death, burial, and resurrection, His appearances to His followers in His post-resurrection state, and then His commission and ascension, this follow-up account that Luke wrote that we call Acts has, has made it clear that the Jesus of his gospel account is still the same Jesus today. 
and that neither Jesus nor his love for people, nor his desire to save the lost, nor his commission to his saints has changed one bit. Jesus has continued the work he began. His ministry didn't end when he ascended to heaven. His ministry in the book of Acts continued on through his apostles who took the commission Jesus gave to them before he ascended to heaven and lived that commission out by the power of of the Holy Spirit commissioned and empowered by Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth. This commission to, to, to go and to make disciples and to baptize and to teach, knowing that Jesus would be with us always, as Jesus said in Matthew 28. See, the promise of Acts 1-8 that, that Jesus' disciples would receive power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, so branching out a little further, and then to the end of the earth is what Luke goes on to record happening throughout the 30-year the about span of time that he chronicles in his book, showing how the gospel went first into Jerusalem, but then was taken from there into the outer parts of the earth, both to Jews and to non-Jews. And even for us today, now almost 2,000 years removed, Jesus is still continuing his work. He's still ministering through every single one of his disciples, still empowering and using his church, his people, to point this world to himself. See, Luke's account in this book really does help bridge the gap between Jesus' ascension to, to what we see and learn in the epistles many years later. Can you imagine if, you know, we just had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it just, and then Romans? We'd be like, wait, how did we get there? Like, how did the gospel get to Rome? How did the church get started? What, what, like, what happened here where there would be this huge void for us in our understanding of who Jesus is and, and his work in this world and the importance of the church, the body of Christ, if not for the book of Acts. The book of Acts is crucial. Not just providing us with a 30-year span of early church history, but providing context and connecting the dots to provide the background for what we see later in all of the epistles, everything that follows in the New Testament all the way through to the book of Revelation. Luke's account also shows us the beginning and early stages of the fulfillment of what Jesus declared during his earthly ministry in Matthew 16, verse 18, regarding the church that didn't even yet exist, that he claimed in that passage belonged to him. He said, it's my church that he would bring this church into existence and build it. He said, I will build. And saying that he would be the protector of it, that the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. See, what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 16, 18, we see him making good on in the book of Acts, and he's still making good on that promise to his church today. And we've seen that here.
Throughout the book of Acts, we've seen that Jesus loves his church. He's about his church. He'll build his church. He'll protect his church. And he desires to empower his church. And along with that, we've also seen that Jesus loves this world. He loves lost humanity. He has a plan to reach them. And he wants to use his church to be instruments in his hand to reach this world for him. And moving on, though, the third and final question I want to address in conclusion of the book of Acts is, how should the book of Acts influence and impact our lives today as disciples of Jesus? Clearly, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the power and authority of Jesus, the life and love of Jesus, the grace and salvation of Jesus, and the gospel and commission of Jesus had radically influenced and impacted Paul's life to where after meeting and being saved by Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was never the same. Everything about his life and his perspective and his priorities changed. We've seen that throughout the book of Acts in countless lives. That the gospel doesn't just sort of like, well, we're saved, but we're just, now we're saved, but we're doing the same thing as before. We're saved, but we think the same way as we did before. We're saved, but our priorities are the same as they were before. We don't see somebody in the book of Acts receiving the gospel of Jesus and then just kind of like, well, they just kind of, everything about their lives just seems the same. I don't see really new life, the power of the life of Jesus characterizing this person. No, we see when Jesus encounters someone's life that there's transformation that there are new things, new desires, new behavior, new way of thinking, new way of interacting with other people. Paul didn't get saved and then keep on persecuting the church. Well, Jesus, thanks for saving me. I'm going to kill all your people still. No, he goes, something's wrong here. I'm doing the wrong thing. I was going the wrong way. And Jesus, you took me off of that path. You set me on a new path. And I'm, I'm about new things now. And I think for us, like, has the, has the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the power and authority of Jesus, the life and love of Jesus, the grace and salvation of Jesus, the gospel and commission of Jesus, has it has it radically influenced and impacted our lives to where because of Jesus' salvation and, and His grace and the sanctifying work of His Spirit and the, the empowering of His Spirit in us, is, are, are we the same? Or have we changed? Has everything about our lives and our perspectives and our priorities been changed because every bit of our lives has been surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not saying that, gosh, you know what, if, you're, if, if everything about your life hasn't radically changed, then you're not truly saved. But what I'm saying is, is that 
the Lord doesn't want to leave us how he found us. He doesn't want to leave us how he saved us. Not because he doesn't value us as a person completely the moment that we receive his salvation, that he, doesn't, that he loves us differently the moment that he received, we receive our, his salvation, but to know that he wants to do something new in every single one of us. To, to ask how the book of Acts should influence and impact our lives as disciples of Jesus is to ask how the power of the Spirit of God through the living and active and life-giving Word of God should influence and impact us. How? In every way possible if we'll submit ourselves to Jesus and His Word and the work of His Spirit. You know, I think about areas of my life where I, I didn't see change happening. Maybe there was struggle with temptation and sin that just lingered. Maybe there was a cycle of something that, I, that, that followed me out of my, my life before Christ into my life with Christ. And I look back at where I was at. It wasn't because the power of God was not sufficient to meet me where I was at and to, and to pull me out of that and to, and to give me victory and, and to bring change. It was because there was parts of my life that I went, Lord, you can have this, this, and this. You've got room A, B, and C, but don't take the closet. <laughs> or, or maybe as I prayed about those things and I really desired to see Jesus bring a change in, in these areas of my life to do something radical in me, that when he would speak to me in those moments, when he would give me a way out of the temptation, I would choose my own way instead of his. I choose to gratify my, my pride and my flesh instead of submitting to the convicting and convincing work of the Spirit of God in those moments. It wasn't because he wasn't speaking clearly or speaking loudly or speaking plainly. It was that I listened to my own self. I listened to the voice of the world. I listened to the voice of the enemy. Instead of listening to the voice of Jesus, who's always speaking to us about a different way a new way, a better way, his way. It's important to note again that, that Luke began this account with Jesus speaking to his disciples about his kingdom. Isn't that interesting? In Acts chapter 1 there he said, he presented himself, right? Seen by them during 40 days. What, what did he speak to them about? The things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then they ask him, Lord, is it, is it at this time, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You've been speaking to us about this kingdom, the kingdom of God. Is it, is it now? Is it here is it, is it physically? Is it governmentally? Like, are you going to overthrow Rome and give us our nation back? 
Are you going to give us our freedoms back? Are you going to give us our own land back? No longer under the occupation of the Roman Empire. Like, are we going to, is it now? And I love Jesus' response. He just says, it's not for you to know. Don't worry about that part. You know what you need is power. Power from the Spirit of God. Power from on high. You don't need a governmental change. You know what you need? Power. To live differently wherever you are. Because when we think about the gospel, when we think about the church of Jesus and the work of Jesus in this world, it's not specific. Like, oh, well, we need to fit that into the context of like where we are in America with our freedoms and our freedom of speech and our freedom of religion. And, and then we'll kind of fit into the context of like China or Iran or some of these areas where it's very close to the gospel. And if, you, if, if someone finds out that you're a Christian, that you'll be imprisoned and, and very likely killed. Like, okay, well, we have a different sort. Like it, the, the, it, we have to, we change it. It sort of changes and, and morphs. Like, no, it's the same. The same message, the same kingdom of God, the same gospel, the same commission, the same value system of Jesus, the same priorities of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what kingdom we find ourselves in. It's not about the physical of what we're dealing with, the landscape of this thing changing. It's about Jesus changing us. Change us, Jesus. And then by your your gospel, change others. Invade this kingdom with your spiritual kingdom at the heart level. Is it, and I think for all of us, really, is it now? Can we get somebody different in office? Can we make some different laws? Is it now? Can we, can we make this thing different now? And Jesus is saying, it's not about the now. You need me. You need my power. You need the, the, the kingdom of God working as the gospel of the Son of God takes root in the hearts of people. He preached the kingdom of God. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. The, the apostles preached the kingdom of God. Paul Those two years, he's preaching the kingdom and he's teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means that Paul was doing what Jesus said in his great commission in Matthew 28. Jesus said, teach the things that I have told you. Well, cool. Lord, we have what you've told us. So we're to teach other people. That's part of how discipleship takes place. We're not just preaching to the heart to see a, a, a response, a, a receiving of salvation, but that there'd be a discipleship that would take place once that salvation happens. And we give people Jesus. We don't give them us. We don't give them some cultural version of Christianity that we have here in the, in the, the western part of the world. We give people Jesus. Give them Jesus. Teach them Jesus. Give them God's word. 
Watch what God does. Watch how he transforms. Watch how the water of the water, word of God renews people's minds and, and washes their souls and brings cleansing and purifying and, and, and cleans house. Brings people out of lives of sin to, to, to something completely different to where when, you know, when Paul writes to the, the church in Corinth and he goes, you know, hey, all these different things, all these different sinful lifestyles, and he goes, such were some of you. That's who you were, but that's not who you now are. Well, how do we get from that to where we are now? It's just the work of the Spirit of God through the Word of God in the people of God. We give them Jesus. We rely upon the Spirit. We're empowered by the Spirit. We give people Jesus. We give them the Word of God. But, but then there's this community aspect of the church that's necessary in what Jesus is desiring to accomplish. We are together, and we're pouring into one another, we're ministering to one another, we're equipping one another, we're discipling one another, so that we can go out and be effective for the kingdom of God in this world. I need you, and you need me, and we all need each other. The book of Acts just declares loudly the importance of the commission. Yes, get out, share the gospel, but it also declares to us loudly how essential, how crucial, how necessary the body of Christ and the gathering of the saints is. Because everywhere through the book of Acts, what do we see? We see people gathered. We see saints loving one another. We see them ministering to one another. We see the apostles being ministered to, to by, the, by the saints and the, the saints ministering to the apostles. And I probably just said the same thing, but, you know, vice versa. But are we great commission people as disciples of Jesus? Be because if we're not, something needs to change. Are we lacking a proper emphasis on the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom, Jesus? You know, maybe have we gotten so caught up with and, and saturated with or so frustrated and angered by or, or so complacent or hopeless because of the kingdoms and kings of this world that we've lost sight of or, or gotten sidetracked from living for the true kingdom? The kingdom of God making our lives about our true king, Jesus Christ. The testimony of the book of Acts reminds us that we need Jesus. We don't read the book of Acts and go, I think I got this. Like, gosh, I need Jesus badly. Because all these people needed Jesus badly. We see the apostles regrouping after different moments, and they're just like, we got to pray. We didn't cry out to the Lord. I mean, even early on when Peter and John are arrested, and then they're threatened, and then they get released, and they come together with the rest of the people in the church, and they pray, and they just they fix their gaze upon the Lord, and they just go, Lord. They didn't say, Lord, stop the persecution. They just go, said, Lord, grant us boldness that we could speak the word 
of Jesus. And if the apostles needed Jesus, we got to bet that you and I need Jesus. Testimony of this book reminds us that each of us need to abide in Jesus daily, to stay connected to him. That he would be our source. Reminds us that, that we need to be with Jesus and in such a way that people around us, just as with Peter and John, would go, there's something different about them. They recognize Peter and John. They're uneducated and untrained men, but these guys have been with Jesus. The only thing that we can say is, man, the only thing, I mean, they must have been with Jesus. This must be because of Jesus. The testimony of this book reminds us that we can't live for Jesus or live out the commission of Jesus without the power of His Spirit. And we can't minister effectively to one another in the body of Christ even without the power of His Spirit and without His love, but, but that He has an endless supply of what we need, His grace and power to, to live victorious, Spirit-filled, abundant lives in Jesus and to be bold witnesses for Him wherever He has us or wherever He sends us. I'd love to just reteach the whole book of Acts again, but we can't. But, you know, we could probably make it in less than three years this next time. But I, but I do pray that God has used our time in this book to disciple and grow us. To bring us into deeper fellowship with Jesus. To make us more like Jesus as we've gotten not just into his word, but gotten his word into us. Submitted to him, sought to live out his word by the power of, spirit, of his spirit. And that as a body, we've grown in our love for one another and for the lost. Become even more united together. Of one mind and one accord and one heart. Equipped to minister to one another and to the lost and that through this book, we've been stirred to live on mission for Jesus every single day, to make our lives all about Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel and his commission and his church so that we can see more people drawn to salvation. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. You know, in closing, if, if each of us is a disciple of Jesus Christ in here today, you know, be encouraged with a reminder that Jesus is still working. He's not done. It's so easy to get discouraged by what we see in the world. Just all the chaos, rampant wickedness and sin. It, it, it can be so easy to feel like nothing, nothing can change. To feel almost hopeless about what's going on. But Jesus is not done. He's not done working in this world. He's not done working here in our state. He's not done working here in the Bay Area, here in the Diablo Valley, not done working here in Calvary Chapel, Walnut Creek, and not done working in you and me personally. The work that he's begun, he will be faithful to complete till the day of Jesus Christ.
He's faithful. We get to celebrate his faithfulness this morning as a church. I want us to recognize today that we have so much to praise Jesus for that even our gathering right now is a testimony to the promise and presence and power and grace and work of Jesus today. That we would respond by giving him the glory and honor and praise that's due to his name, loving him wholeheartedly and worshiping him supremely. You know, maybe you know Jesus, but your focus has been on maybe building the kingdom of your own life, your own goals. Maybe your focus has been on the kingdoms of man and you just just gotten all worked up. Maybe your priorities have just been out of alignment with Jesus' kingdom priorities and his commission. Be reminded today that Jesus wants you to be focused on him. On him. Fix your eyes upon Jesus once again. Surrender afresh and anew to him and prioritize your life around the person and work of Jesus. Guys, he has grace and power for each of us today to be his witnesses to the lost, but also to be a blessing to his church. But let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, so thankful for this study of the book of Acts. God, all the ways that you've used it these last three years all the little sidetracks of things, of studies that have happened in that time frame. God, all the ways that you've wanted to grow us and draw us near to yourself. To ignite in us, Lord, an even greater passion for you. To have your heart, Lord Jesus, for the lost. To be dependent and submitted to your spirit. Lord God, we're thankful that your kingdom is like no kingdom here on earth. That Jesus, you're a king like no other king that's ever walked the face of this earth. Even the best of kings. We might even be able to look at a, a ruler even from the from the Old Testament and go, wow, they're they're great. Maybe we don't find anything really bad about him, but Lord, even the best, even the best of kings is pales in comparison with who you are, Jesus, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, thankful that your reign is not just supreme overall, reigning from heaven, but Lord, that you reign in the hearts of every single person who's put their faith in you. Lord, thankful, Lord, that you're not done with us. You're not done with our world. Lord, that you're still working, still moving, still changing lives, still saving souls. And God, thank you that you called us into your commission. Lord, help us in the days to come. Lord, to keep our focus on you. Lord, to preach your kingdom, to teach the things which concern Jesus. And Lord, would we do it with boldness. 
Jesus, we need you. We love you. And Lord, I just pray for the hearts of your people this morning, God, wherever they're at. That, God, you would do a fresh work in us, Lord, individually. But, Lord, that you would also do a fresh work in our church corporately, collectively. Lord, that you would lead us into new things in this new year of ministry. God, that it would be your spirit, Lord, leading us. God, that your gospel and your word would get out to even more people. That we would see people saved, Lord, that we would see saints equipped. Lives transformed. Marriages reconciled. Wayward sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers return to you. Lord, that you would use us for your kingdom and glory. And Lord, if anyone has joined us today that doesn't just first have a personal saving relationship with you, Lord, in their own hearts, would they just be able to, to confess their sin? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need your salvation. They'd see, Jesus, that your death upon the cross, Lord, your blood being shed is the only way of salvation for any of us. That Jesus, you died in our place. The way, truth, and life, Jesus, you provided that for us. So that by believing in you, by repenting of our sin and turning in faith to you, Lord, we could have salvation, forgiveness, a new start, a new heart. The promise of eternity with you. Hope for the present. A love, Lord, that we could never have apart from you. Lord, would today lives be changed as people open up their hearts to you, confessing with their mouth that Jesus, your Lord, believing in their heart that Jesus, you are raised from the dead. And Lord, would we take this gospel with us into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, Lord, into the marketplaces and the gas station, Lord, wherever we go, wherever we are, Make us bold for you, Lord Jesus, in these days. Lord, not timid, not fearful, but God, filled with your power. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We commit this time to you now as we sing these songs of praise and response to your word, as we take the communion elements, as the prayer team's available to pray for people. Lord, I just pray, God, that you continue to pour out your spirit, continue to move here. In Jesus' name, amen.